Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Summer Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it is a thrill to be with you once again. Really, thanks for taking time to join me. It is Wednesday, June 15th, and if this is your first time with us, welcome. We are so glad you've come. As I shared last week, we've officially started our summer schedule. What does that mean? It means that if you're in the greater New Braunfels, Texas area, we're not going to be meeting in person for our midweek Bible study during the summer months, which are June, July, and August. But we will continue with an online study right here on this media platform so you can stay connected and stay current. If you've missed any of the previous studies, there's only been one in this new series, but if you missed any of the other series we've done, you can catch up right here as well. Today is part two in our study of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about true wisdom. To help us, we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 18, and we're going to be going all the way to chapter 2, verse 5. I'm really excited to tell you more, but as always, we start with a word of prayer, so let's do that. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for this wonderful opportunity you've given us once again to study your word. Thanks for all that have come today, either to listen and or to watch the video. We are so blessed by their presence. Lord, I pray your blessing over them and their families. Lord, we just want to give you great honor and glory in all the things that we say, think, and do. So as we come and gather, teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. You know, when we think of wisdom, we may be reminded of the story of King Solomon. And so Solomon asked for wisdom above every other thing. And what did the Lord do? The Lord granted his request, but he also granted some other things as well. The Lord was so pleased, in fact, that he gave him riches and power. Those were the other things. Now, here's a few opening questions to help us think about our experiences concerning seeking wisdom. Are you ready? Opening question number one. When you were a teenager, who were you most likely to go to for wisdom? Who was that person? Might it have been your parents or maybe another relative? Maybe one of your friends? Perhaps a teacher? Maybe your pastor? Or maybe an advice columnist like Ann Landers or Dear Abby? Believe it or not, I grew up in a time with both of those in a newspaper, and a lot of people went to them for wisdom. Who would it be? For most things, I usually went to my parents for advice and guidance. They were wise. But there were times in high school that I'd go to like my school guidance counselor, especially when considering options for what I wanted to do afterwards. And believe it or not, I was one of those ones that occasionally would look in the newspaper at Ann Landers and Dear Abby, because you never know. Sometimes there was an issue that was just right there and I was going through it or I knew someone who was, and it was just good wisdom there. That was at least for me. Question number two, when you were younger, who were you most likely to debate with about an issue? Might it have been your parents? Maybe a sibling or a friend? How about your teacher or teachers? Maybe opponents on an actual debate team. I actually knew some folks that did that. Or maybe no one. Maybe you just are quiet and don't really want to debate and just agree. Or maybe there's something else. When you were younger, who were you most likely to debate with about an issue? As I looked back, I don't remember ever really wanting to debate anybody about anything. Sure, there were lots of times when I had spirited discussions with my parents, a friend, even an occasional teacher, but it wasn't an issue about debating. I don't remember taking that kind of a stance about anything when I was younger. Question three. Considering the following choices, 
Which would you nominate as the most stirring and wise? Would you nominate Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech as being most stirring and wise? Perhaps it's Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Or perhaps Kennedy's I Am a Berliner speech. Or maybe President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's We Have Nothing to Fear But Fear Itself Address. Which of those choices would you nominate as the most stirring and wise? Well, I would encourage you, if you've never heard of any of those, I would encourage you to Google them and take a few minutes and read each one of them. But for me, clearly, without a doubt, I would say Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I've had the privilege of reading it a number of times. I was actually in a college class that discussed that speech in detail. The main idea of the speech was to showcase to the American public the degree of racial inequality in the United States, requesting them to abstain from discriminating on the basis of race. There is such great wisdom and inspiration and truth in Dr. King's words, and those words still ring true today, worthy of our attention and our action. All right, let's continue in our Bible study. Those are the opening questions. Let's get a little bit deeper now. You know, Christians are sometimes mocked as not being too bright. It is said that we, quote, follow our fight. It is said that we, quote, follow our faith blindly, end quote. Yet, as we're about to read, we follow a God who has all wisdom and shares it with us so that we may boast in him and not ourselves. So open your Bible or Bible apps and let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 18. And we're going to go to the end of that chapter, which will take us to verse 31. And then we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And while we're doing that, I want you to note how God's wisdom is worth far more than gold or riches. Are you ready? Here we go. 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 18 to the end of the chapter. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom Christ has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That takes us to the end of chapter 1, 
Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. Here's our first study question. When you do something foolish, in which of the following ways are you most likely to react? A. Act like it was what I meant to do. B. Laugh at myself. C. Get angry and defensive. D. Brush myself off and move on. Or E. Get angry at myself and call myself names under my breath. Or maybe there's something else that you do when you do something foolish. In which of the following ways are you most likely to react? I mean, this question, folks, it just cuts right to the middle of it all, doesn't it? Reluctantly, my answer is E. I get angry at myself and I call myself names, not just under my breath, but with my breath. It's something that's been with me for most of my life. But thanks to the Lord, I am much better at it today than before. But I still have a long way to go in my journey with this to not get angry at myself and call myself names. I am and always will be so grateful to the Lord for his wisdom and grace. Number two. Verse 18 reads, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here's the question. What does it mean that the message of the cross is foolishness to some people and not for others? And who are these two groups of people? In this verse, Paul divides the world into two groups of people, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those perishing are destined for eternity apart from God, while those being saved are destined for an eternity of sharing in God's glory. To the first group, the perishing, the cross of Christ is folly. The original Greek term used here is moriah, for the same root word forming English forms the word moron. In blunt terms, Paul is saying that to the unsaved world, those who preach the gospel look like idiots. Broadly speaking, ungodly people think believers and their faith are stupid. In Paul's day, the cross remained in widespread use by the Romans as a means of public execution. It was a symbol of shameful crimes and powerlessness before the irresistible Roman Empire. The cross of Christ was not foolish in the Greek and Roman culture as a result of atheism. In truth, they believed in all kinds of gods and sorted them by the power they wielded over nature and humanity. The cross of Christ was foolish to the pagan culture because Jesus Christ was rejected by his own people and crucified like any other common criminal by the Roman machine. And from the Greek and Roman perspective, that was no kind of God to worship. For those who are being saved, because of their faith in Christ, the cross is understood to be God's most powerful act. God's son did not lose a fight with the Jewish leaders or the Roman government. He wasn't overpowered or outmatched. God the Father sacrificed his son Jesus for human sin. Jesus, in spite of limitless power and authority, 
gave up his life to cover the sins of those who were perishing. Those who trust in Christ understand that without that powerful act, we would be lost and without hope. Yes, we would. Number three. Verse 19 reads, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Here's the question. In this verse, Paul summarizes Isaiah 29:14 to emphasize a point that Jesus often made. What is that point and why is it important? I would encourage you not only to read verse 19 again, but to look at Isaiah 29:14 to answer the question. What is the point that Jesus often made and why is it important? The point was that God's way of thinking is not like the world's way. In other words, normal human wisdom. Paul isn't saying that human wisdom and intelligence are wrong. He's saying that they are worthless as a means of salvation. People can spend a lifetime accumulating human wisdom and yet never learn how to have a personal relationship with God. They must come to the crucified and risen Christ to receive eternal life and the joy of a personal relationship with the Savior. Number four. Verse 21 reads, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Here's the question. Can we find God through human wisdom? Part one. And next, and if not, then how can we find him? In his complete sovereignty and wisdom, God decided that people would never find him through human wisdom. So there's the answer to that first part. Instead, he chose a crucified Savior and a message of salvation preached by weak and fallible human beings to save those who believe. This looks like absurdity to the high and mighty of this world. Many people of Paul's time, and many today, mocked and mock the message of the gospel. In their human wisdom, they wanted to reason above and beyond and experience more than they felt was offered in the foolish preaching of believers. In reality, the worldly wise will not find God. Those who accept the message of the cross will find him, and they will be saved. Number five. Look at verses 22 through 24. They read, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here's the question. What contrast is Paul talking about here and why is it important? Many Jews considered the good news of Jesus Christ to be foolish because they thought the Messiah would be a conquering king and would give them a sign from heaven. Although Jesus had performed many miracles during his ministry on earth, many Jews who observed his miracles firsthand had refused to believe. Jesus had not restored David's throne in the way they had expected. Besides, he had been executed as a criminal. How could a criminal be a savior? This proclamation of Christ crucified offended them. The Greeks, also called Gentiles, did not believe in bodily resurrection. They did not see in Jesus the powerful characteristics of their mythological gods, and they thought no reputable person would be crucified. So to them, death was defeat, not victory. It did not make sense in their own wisdom that any god would do such a thing and come to earth to be killed. 
the gospel message was all nonsense to them. While some Jews and Greeks tripped over the message, it was a different story for those called by God to salvation. Those who embraced and believed the gospel, in other words. Many people, both Jews and Gentiles, will not stumble over the message, but will find that it is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. Amen. Number six, verses 27 and 28 say, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lonely things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Here's the question. Why did God choose the foolish, weak, and insignificant things of the world? God does not seek out the people whom the world admires. Instead, he reveals himself to humble and searching hearts, regardless of their worldly position. But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame those who think they're wise. He chose the powerless to shame those who are powerful. Why would God not choose leaders and influential people who could make sweeping reforms and be followed by the masses? God does not choose as people choose. His sovereign choice is not based on anything that people do or achieve. Number seven. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here's the question. Who does Paul say made it possible for believers to be in Christ Jesus? Paul reminded the Corinthian believers that it is God alone who made it possible for believers to be in Christ Jesus. God is the source of believers' existence and the reason for their personal and living relationship with Christ. Because salvation is completely by God's grace, any boasting before God is sheer nonsense. If believers must boast, they must boast, as the verse says, only in what the Lord has done. These words come from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 and refer to saved people glorying in the Lord's acts on their behalf. So the redeemed people of the New Testament boast not in their salvation, but in God alone, who provided that salvation through his grace alone. Number eight, let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2. Those verses read, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ, and him crucified. Here's the question. Paul was certainly a learned man with an impeccable pedigree, but in these verses he appears quite humble. Why was that important to the Corinthians, and what example does this show for us today? The words, when I came to you, refer to Paul's first visit to Corinth during his second missionary journey when he founded the church. As Paul had explained in chapter 1, the gospel message, by its simplicity, appears foolish to those who think themselves wise by human standards. Paul was a brilliant scholar and could have overwhelmed his audience at Corinth with really fancy words and brilliant ideas. While this may have led to a measure of intellectual standing, it may not have led them to saving faith. Faith that depends on clever arguments or fancy speaking 
can be undermined if another logical argument or better speaker comes along. See, faith grounded in the word of the Holy Spirit, however, can't be undermined. So Paul decided to concentrate only on Jesus and his death on the cross. Paul shared the simple message of Jesus, who had been crucified for the world's sins, and let that simple message move into the Corinthians' hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a tremendous example for us today as well. Number nine, let's take a look at verses three and four. They read, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Here's the question. Paul continues from the previous verses in sharing about his mindset as he ministered to the Corinthians. Why do you think it was important for him to remind them of this? Paul came to Corinth not as a powerful preacher and debater, ready to take on the city, but rather he came in weakness, in other words, as it said, with fear and trembling. His attitude was not fearful, but utterly dependent upon God for the important task of bringing the gospel into this wicked and idolatrous city. He did not depend on using wise and persuasive speeches to change people's hearts. That would happen only by the work and power of the Holy Spirit among them. The power of their conversion was not through Paul and his preaching, but through the Holy Spirit. And now our last question for today, number 10. Verse 5 reads, So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Here's the question. Paul closes out this section with a final statement about where the Corinthians' faith should rest. What does he tell them? As I stated earlier, Paul deliberately chose not to use the style of persuasion and refined speaking that so fascinated those in the Greek world. Instead, he brought a simple message that depended upon the Holy Spirit's power for its effectiveness. Paul did not want his listeners focusing on the speech he gave or how he presented it or whatever other brand of human wisdom might have been used to persuade the Corinthians to believe. Instead, Paul wanted them to trust in the simple message of the gospel and so trust the power of God for their salvation. Well, folks, this brings us to the end of today's study about true wisdom. It's been a great journey. Let's look back and recap what we've talked about. We considered the nature of Christian wisdom and how it compares to the wisdom of the world. We were reminded that we are able to accomplish anything if we rely on the power and wisdom of God. Absolutely. Amen. I have an action step for you this week, if you're willing to take it. To keep the momentum going from this study, would you prayerfully consider stepping out of your respective comfort zones and talking to someone about what Christ has done in your life? And if you do that this week, would you write us and let us know how it went? We would love to hear about that. Next time, we're going to be studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and we're going to discuss how Christ must remain the one foundation of the church for it to have power. So until then, please take care. Thanks for joining me today. I'll be right back here at this same time next week. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. 
To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.